Hello and welcome to QMinders Service Intelligence Podcast. Today we're talking to Jorma Laiapea. Jorma has uh, 20-plus years of experience with customer service and support functions, and maybe most notably what our audience might know as a brand as well. Jorma built the customer support team at TransferWise, now called Wise. It's going to be very interesting learning about his experiences and also what Jorma is doing now. So welcome to the show, Jorma. Hey, good to be here. Thank you. So let's first um, warm this up with a little bit about what you are doing nowadays. Your current project is called Limitless Impact Investments. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. Yes, you know, this uh, story goes back around like two years or so when one of my ex-colleagues from WISE, Marga, she was her heading enterprise network in Estonia and invited a couple of people there to bounce ideas, you know, how we can help uh, these companies, impact companies, social enterprises and so on. And I was one of them. And uh, we realized that one of the big problems that these companies have is the lack of reasonable financing. They were not... uh, in a kind of this hyper growth track uh, to be attractive for the VCs uh, to get money from there, or if they could, it was very expensive money. They had to give up a big stake in the company and they were not uh, ready also yet, you know, for getting financing from the banks. So we started uh, solving that problem and eventually that led to creating or uh, founding the Limitless Impact Investments, where we right now provide financing to the impact companies uh, and impact companies for us means that companies who are solving some real life problems, either in education, health, well-being or environment. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm talking to a lot of companies, trying to help them uh, with financing and some other advice as well. That's, that's exciting. So you can help them with financing, but also some other customer support or service topics various mentoring that uh, that we do we help them also to establish their like how to measure their impact uh, you know that's mm-hmm. one part but also mm-hmm. any other experience that i've gained over the years in various companies and i feel that could help those companies i'm more than happy to share mm-hmm. and you have quite a lot of experience to share you've been working in uh as you mentioned, like in customer service and, and support functions since 1998. So, yeah, that's a long time ago, you know, last century whatsoever. But yes, and I actually, for myself, I've always defined it not as a customer service or customer support, but more like making people happy business. So uh, that gives a dip- different uh, feel to it because at the end of the day, if you work in that field, your aim is to make your customers happy one way or another, because no customer contacts you if they don't have a question, if they don't have a problem. And if you can solve that, that adds a little bit of happiness to the day. Yeah, that's what I've been doing in different companies, in, in financial companies like Swedbank or Hansa Bank to, to start with, Hilton Hotels and Hospitality or Transcom, which was a big outsourcing company. 
various roles as well. But at the end of the day, it's making people happy business. Yeah, definitely. It, it's something that probably, as you said, it's one of these jobs that gives you back if you can make someone happy. Yes, yeah. it really does. But then, you know, of course, you can't make all customers happy, but you can aim for that mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea of customer support being in the business of making people happy. That's a great quote. As I mentioned, the, the brand that you work with, that probably is is now the, the most known, is TransferWise or WISE, as, as we are now training ourselves to, to say. You joined them in 2013 to to build the customer support function or to build a team there. How fast was TransferWise growing back then and then how fast did the support team need to grow? Yeah, well, uh, you're right. I joined in 2013 and at that time in the support uh, team, we had around like five or six uh, six people. So a relatively small team. I came from the uh, company where we had like hundreds of people. And in the beginning, in 2013, we, we weren't growing like super fast uh, as a team. We're hiring one per, odd person here or there. So by the end of the year, maybe you had like uh, nine or ten people. But this uh, hyper growth uh, for the company and for the support team as well, that uh, that started in the middle of 2014, where we suddenly had so many more customers. <laughs> who had so many more questions and those all needed to be answered you know via email via phone via chat and so on and then we started like this aggressive hiring and i think between like june 2014 and december 2014 i probably uh, did like 300 uh, job interviews to hire the team so i think by the end of by the end of that year we had uh, probably around 70 80 people and uh, at the end when i left now two years ago then uh, we had in the support function around you know four five hundred people so it's quite significant growth over there but uh, yeah it was uh, it was crazy times uh, a lot of work meeting a lot of amazing people interviewing a lot of amazing people all all around the world opening new offices uh, at the same time crazy times but fun times and it was all all worth it to see those people joining the team, growing in the organization, and and helping a, a lot of customers as well. By four or five hundred people, this was then across all the different offices. Yes, Probably. yes. We initially, you know, started of uh, the support function was based in Tallinn, but quite soon we started expanding uh, our support to other other places as well. You know, opening an office. In US, in Tampa, Florida, you know, amazing sunny place, amazing people. Opening an office in Budapest, uh, Hungary, you know, to support European languages. Having a few people in Tokyo, then in Singapore, and so on. So it became really like a global team. Mm-hmm. And then managing all these different offices, different time zones, and everything. So were you able to have the around-the-clock support shared between all of these offices? Or, for example, did the Thailand people have to like 
take the night shifts as well or how do yeah, you... operationally it's always tricky if you want to provide extended hours how do you do do you follow the clock and so on we had actually you know these uh, night shifts also in in different locations because mm-hmm. the focus in those markets was also you know, servicing these particular market customers mm-hmm. some you can do in other locations but you know what was critical for us at the time was to be close to the customers because if, if we would we could have easily you know done the u.s support also from Tallinn, but as we were just entering u.s market it was crucial that we understand the culture that our people in the team understand the culture of the customers because that's the best way how you can help them and also gather the feedback that you loop into the product to improve the product as well that's why crucial be close to the customer so that's why we opened these offices as well to be, to be closer to them but yeah we did night shifts in, in most of the locations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so, something i haven't thought about uh, that having to support people actually understanding the culture of, of the local people it's uh, yeah yeah it, it's crucial and there are other aspects as well as wise is, is a fintech or financial company uh, the trust is critical there and if a customer from us calls and the call is always picked up in estonia which for the us people quite often still relates to soviet union russia all these kind of things it might not create that trust that is required especially if you have like a very young company mm-hmm. so it's my money i send them my money i don't know where my money is and somebody from eastern europe picks up the phone even if it's a best person ever the best customer service person most knowledgeable there mm-hmm. is a little bit of this trust that is very hard to create yeah that's that's the reason you need to have people near where the where, where the customers are because otherwise you could be just opening up huge support centers in some yeah. cheaper countries and have them run well, for seven that's that's fine as well i think it all depends you know at what phase you are as a company mm-hmm. if you start just establishing yourself in that particular market it's critical to be you know closer mm-hmm. if you already established and then you start looking okay where we can also do it what's that added value of being close to the market or mm-hmm. maybe we can do it more efficiently and also cheaper for the customer somewhere else then you should definitely do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, as you mentioned when you're a fresh startup there as the part of building trust but also building the feedback loop back in, into the product from support team how did you manage that because I, i see a lot of times that support knowledge is underused for for managing the the product or in, in improving the product in, in a lot of cases yeah it's very hard but i think the one of the challenges is that there is so much information coming from the support side that you know how to filter that what is actually relevant where to focus what are the actual big problems that can be solved on the product side what are due to that our customer you know segment is changing or something like that so where we need to do some different things we tried a uh, different uh, approaches over the years advice having like some support people being really close like kind of liaison person people between the product teams and the support team we also engaged the uh, product and engineering a lot in customer support having these programs that they they had they actually had to talk to the customers and we found you know that was very valuable experience for for everybody 
for the engineers and for product people as well, that if they talk to the real customer, they get a different feel when it's like mediated by somebody already, you know, filtered mm-hmm. through. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was so, sometimes like funny when we had these days when engineers were doing support and we tried to channel to them these customers who were calling or emailing because of problems with that particular part of the product that engineer built. Mm-hmm. And when they thought, oh, this is a problem, that's easy. And sometimes right there, you know, they went uh, and made a change. And the next day it was released and it was fixed. So I think that's the clear example that how, if you provide that feedback via the support, creating a ticket, it never gets that priority. Mm-hmm. But it takes like five minutes and it's fixed. So this is this was like hugely valuable, actually, people from different teams talking to customers as well. Yeah. Actually, now I remember a st- uh, like a story that one of my friends told that used to work in WISE said that he had just joined the support team and the next day he had the founder or the CEO just sitting next to him also doing support work trying to get the understanding the customer and 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 the customer's problems and and needs via doing the support work themselves what is this company doing and at the end of the day we are building product for the customers so mm-hmm. we are not just having fun building some bits and pieces but there is actually somebody who's going to use it mm-hmm. and if you don't understand them if you don't know them very difficult to, to build a good product and this is something so simple again this is something that every company should do but i think it's it's often hard to get out of your own own head and out of your own assumptions about what people need and actually go in the ditches and and actually listen to people well it's hard work customer support is not easy mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult if you want to do it good and if you do it day in day out and i think that's why for people from other teams it's definitely stepping out of the daily comfort zone mm-hmm. and you know for any of us it's not easy to step out of our comfort zone you really have to push but advice i think it was part of the company culture and you know very well and clearly laid by example by the founders as well this is how we do things this is what you do and you know I think that just made it much more easier for everybody else as well to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you have these role models leading and, and showing the way that's not only about the support work, but as you said, overall company culture, it works very well. So when you have a big customer support team, you are also, as you said, providing feedback for the product team. It can be in a way that the engineers actually come in and then get the tickets that are associated with the small bit that they're building. With with having so many people working in the support team, what are the main data points that you measured in order to make sure that everything is done quickly, that the customers are happy, but also that the support function works smoothly? Yeah. We measured a lot of things, the most common things starting from like service levels in different channels, handling times, first contact resolution, all these kind of 
kind of things. Yes, we, we aim for certain things like with regards of service levels that how quickly we want to the emails to be responded and so on. But with regards of, for example, first contact resolution or average handling time, we didn't really set like very cl- clear goals that, okay, you need to reduce it over the time or the first contact resolution, it needs to go uh, continue to improve because a lot of contacts that initially come to the support over the time, you can automate, you improve the products and those contacts go away. And those tend to be very easy to answer contacts, very easy to answer. Just like it takes like 30 seconds to give to customer that information. And as you automate these bits and pieces, obviously what you get left with are more difficult cases, which Mm -hmm. take longer to handle, which uh, don't necessarily always get resolved on the first, by the first contact. Where also, as they are more complex cases, the customer satisfaction might not be as high. Can't just like blindly say that we need to improve customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. But if you automate like 50% of the contacts, they go away from the support. And the reminder 50%, they're much more complex. And then you won't be comparing apples to apples anymore. So we measured all these things, but we were also very conscious. What does it mean if we do something? If we launch a, a new currency rule, we measured those uh, contacts uh, definitely separately, the reasons for those contacts, the handling times, the problems that they had, because it was like a new thing. And we couldn't just put it in the same big pile with, with everything else that we had, just not fair. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, especially when you are a growing company, as TransferWise was, that the issues change, some issues get solved. And, and you are left with more complex stuff that, that probably takes more time from the support people. So in the overall customer journey, you mentioned improving a lot of the smaller issues and, and actually getting this sold, that the, the, the tickets that usually took quite a lot of time now are being automated. You mentioned customer support needs and, and product failures. How would you then go about providing some examples of where the customer support is uh, connected to product failures and then where it's actually like something that needs improvement by the customer support team? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, to go to like full on extreme, and if we talk about like tech companies uh, where, you know, for building apps for people to use or services that are fully online, the extreme view that just to get into people's head is that every contact is a product failure. Every time customer feels a need to contact the t- company, that means that they are not able to do things themselves. They need to admit to themselves that I can't do it. I need to reach out for help. And you know, that's already a problem for the customer, right? And I would say that's a product failure. So ideally, there shouldn't be any contacts. Your products would be easy, smooth to use and so on. And if we think about the, a lot of uh, products or services that we use, when was the last time you reached out to Google support? Mm-hmm. Uh, when was the last time you reached out to uh, Facebook support, if ever? Did you ever feel a need to reach out? So these are the questions that if you really need to reach out, the product kind of is failing. But of course, when you first start building the product, it's not going to be ideal. And it's probably never going to be ideal. Mm -hmm. But the question is that if we don't have that mindset that 
we shouldn't create contacts, then you are not building the best product uh, possible unless you design those contacts into the product. Unless you understand that in the customer journey, there is a point where this human interaction really adds value. Either that it helps to convert the customer better. And if it's like a you know high value customer, it might make sense because it's big decisions they are making that might add value, then needs to be there. But, but it needs to be designed into that process. And for that, you need to understand the customer journey and what is happening with the customer. Where is the point where the human interaction will add value? And then you can design it in, and that's part of this journey. That's part of your product, that customer interaction. Mm-hmm. But if it's just like random and ad hoc, that it just happens all over the product, then maybe you need to think that how you can fix it, how you can provide the customers more smoother product or have those answers there uh, already. Because a lot of uh, questions are repetitive and many customers have them. Have it automated, have the FAQs there and uh, handy and just pop it. If you know that 70% of customers at that point have that question, that's a food for thought. How we can make sure that they have the answer right there under the fingertips or on the screen Mm-hmm. Not that they need to, okay, how can I contact support and ask my question? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from my kind of marketing background, I feel like an interesting uh, comparison that that uh, nowadays we are creating content in a way that, that different people like to consume content differently. There are people that want to listen to that full interview and then see the video and then there are people that might want to get like a written summary here or just listen to the audio or just get a small clips here and there it's probably same with the people that have problems so there are people that want to take the time read to the faqs or have a chat but then again there's people that might want to have a have a call right away even if it's very simple so do you need to have all these different channels open then all the time for, for different people? Or is it just a very small change there? That's another interesting topic. Should they be open all the time to all the customers or, or not? It really depends on the product. It really depends on the service you're providing and your kind of the strategy that, okay, we choose that we provide the support in that channel. Mm-hmm. And that might be okay. And, and this uh, tiny portion of of customers, for example, the target group is going to be super tiny. If we would need phone support, they won't need it for 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So, because it doesn't add much, much value. It's okay. not time sensitive, for example, as well, though. It's okay if they call tomorrow for the customer as well. They don't feel this, this urgency. It really comes down to what's your strategy on, on that side. But yes, as you said, you have different customers with different preferences. But at the end of the day, if we talk on, about online services, what customer expe- expectation is, I just want to get it done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to get it ideally done without uh, asking anybody because I want to be like self-sufficient and make sure I can manage my things. I don't want to think that in, in the back in my head that I'm a failure, I need to ask for help. So if it's 
if the system helps me and is intuitive and providing the information, I feel much more empowered and happy with the product rather than, okay, I need to contact the support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a nice point of view because you reminded me of the feeling that even though I know that I'm not responsible for properly understanding someone's product, then I might feel as a failure that like, yes, why I don't understand that. And of course, you, and then you start you know, pointing fingers that you build a bad product and so on. But at the end of the day, internally, the customer needs to overcome this that I don't know. Mm -hmm. I need to ask. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of a barrier, I think, for, for most of us. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. When, when I'm talking to you, then I feel the feelings, uh, what I have <laughs> as someone that needs 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 support from time to time because it's it's not easy for like me deciding to contact support actually means that i am in trouble i i probably have tried googling this that's what we do all the all the time i'm, I'm gonna try and google the, the the issue whether it be with the product or doing anything nowadays when i'm building a like a diy project if I have an issue, I Google this. But if I will contact you, then then it means I, I haven't found the information anywhere. Yeah. And of course, customers are different. For some people, it's the you know, first thing they do, they will try to contact support. And that's absolutely fine as well. Because that's how they choose to do it. I'm not saying that don't contact. You should contact if you feel a need, you should. Mm -hmm. But it comes with this feeling that I don't know how to do it in my head. Uh, I need to ask, ask for help. And asking for help in general for people, not so easy. Absolutely. So your experience then that you work with tech companies most lately, but you've also mentioned Hilton and and companies that are not that tech savvy or or that have a bigger like non-tech part to them. For example, a high-end restaurant. Or, or 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 just a mom and pop corner shop. Mm -hmm. They they all are in the customer. Yeah, it's a face face to face contact, but I think at the end of the day, a little bit of the same rules apply there as well. You mm -hmm. need to understand the value that this face to face contact uh, adds mm -hmm. uh, to the customers. If we talk about high end uh, restaurant, it's part of the overall experience mm -hmm. and the service. Mm -hmm. And and you want to be more like engaging and personal and really a bit of like pampering uh, you rather than like uh, fast and efficient mm -hmm. because you go there with a different expectation. Mm -hmm. But if you go to like uh, McDonald's and you recently you've seen what they've done, you go to the screen and you pick because on the ordering part of that process, the human interaction wouldn't add much value. I think actually the screen is much better providing that experience in McDonald's because I don't feel pressure to order very quickly because I remember old times when you're there behind the counter, I haven't really figured out what I want to get. And I feel like I'm pressured this time. And now, now they ask like ketchup and mayo, do you want this extra stuff? I'm not ready to decide so quickly, but in yeah. front of the screen, it's much more easier for me to make a decision. Yeah, I'm going to have that ice cream as well. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> then saying that yes, I want this ice cream too. So in that environment, 
this automation is at the right place, adds value to the customer, adds value to, to the company. But I wouldn't expect this thing to be at a, like a high-end restaurant where I go to celebrate something. I don't want to pick from the screen, uh, okay, I want this uh, seven-course tasting menu from mm-hmm. here, and then I want this uh, this pairing drinks as well. So it's different experience. And on mom and pop shop as well, even though they probably don't do strategy meetings about what is our customer journey, mm-hmm. but they genuinely provide certain kind of experience that you don't get in the big supermarket in self-checkout. Mm-hmm. And that's why you sometimes go to the supermarket because you want to be efficient and sometimes you go to the mom and pop shop because you want to get a different kind of experience. You know, emotional experience, uh, you might want to support this local business as well. And there's like different kind of reasons why you use different services. So mm-hmm. the journeys are different and the need for the human interaction is different. Mm-hmm. And overall, living in the era where everything is becoming automated, where you have these self-checkout stations, then these mom and pop shops will become quite exotic in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And now thinking about it, you know, maybe that's why the farmers markets are becoming so popular because people want this personal uh, relationship and they want somebody to t- tell about their eggs or the carrots that they are selling mm-hmm. rather than you know just ordering online. Yeah, most of the time I order everything online, everything gets delivered, no human interaction. Now even you don't need to see the courier. But sometimes I want to go to this farmer's market, have this interaction, plus get a much more better quality product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like when you were talking about McDonald's and, and how this automation is actually good, and then you're not pressured into buying extra fries when you don't actually you know, feel like it. Or, or something like this. And, and this reminded me of a um, similar uh, company like you know, Starbucks that m- more has this human interaction built into the, the process that, that you are going there, you maybe you're building a relationship with your corner shop barista mm-hmm. and also have them write your name and then and create this uh, personal relationship. But then again, it is always dependent on the company as well. Yeah, and it's part of the experience at Starbucks. And that's why you're prepared to pay so much more there as well, compared to going some other place and getting the coffee from the vending machine or whatever. Human interaction nowadays is already something that people in certain situations are prepared to pay for a higher price. Mm -hmm. Interesting to see how it will be 10 years from now whether human interaction has become in, in the era of automation that it has become such like a special thing that people are willing to pay more for? It's a good question. I think it will depend a lot on the generation of people. If we think about like the younger generation who is, who is now growing up fully online, they might not miss that human interaction. They might not be prepared to pay for that extra. Mm-hmm. I think... If we talk about people who've still grown up uh, like my age or maybe like even like 25, 30 year olds, Mm -hmm. uh, they will value the human interaction as well Mm -hmm. uh, in the face to face environment. 
But if we talk about like remote setup, then I think actually it's a question, it's just a matter of time when the bots and AI <clears throat> and so on can provide a much better experience than humans ever can. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, by reading your emotions and replying exactly how you would in your head expect them to reply, listening to, to your uh, voice and the tone and the words and using the algorithm and providing exactly the wording that you would understand mm -hmm. rather than, you know, what a human thinks because humans can't process so much. I can be a best customer service uh, uh, person and talking to the customer and trying to really be empathetic and engage, but my brain power is limited. I need to look for the answers at the same time, but if we compare it with the uh, computers, how quickly they can analyze it, then on the remote, uh, not face-to-face -face contact, it's a matter of time when, uh, when the machines will beat people. Mm -hmm. It's both exciting and scary. <laughs> yes, I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I, I think even if, you, if we look over the past 10 years, how the chatbots have evolved and how seamless they sometimes can be already and uh, how efficient if you need a quick answer. They don't necessarily read your emotions all the time, and sometimes they do, but, but in general, how they evolve, that's been pretty amazing, if used at the right time. And the same will happen like with, with the voice sooner or later as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, and th these are some of the things that our grandparents growing up you know, didn't have phones, and now... We have everything in, at our fingertips and thinking 20 years from now when you call support and it's probably going to be talking to a, to a computer that sounds and works better than a human in that sense. Yeah, and you know, who knows, it might sound like your grandmother mm -hmm. because that's the person you respect the most or you're used to get the good advice. Yeah. And that machine knows that for you, about you because they traced you and then it sounds like, oh, it's talking to my granny and she's giving me an advice. Now it says the machine. Who knows? That's crazy. But I think if we think about it, that's it's a machine. very realistic. Yeah. So um, let's start wrapping this up um, by coming back to humans. Yes. You have done probably now thousands of job interviews, hired so many people, good support people. Are they easy to find or is it something <laughs> that that you need to be really good at finding them as well? Like any good, any people to any role, good people to any role, they are hard to find. But it's possible to find good uh, support people as well. Now, the question is that, you know, how you can keep them at the support world for longer if they are really good, because many people have different ambitions and you know, historically support has been like a stepping, uh, stepping stone for this, uh, this company or that's where I start and then I want to do something else. And not very many people stay there in that uh, field for long because it's hard. 
if I was looking for, for people, I didn't necessarily look for the people for custom support. And I think, you know, especially like in the startups or tech companies, you're hiring for the company, you're not hiring for your team. And one of the goals when I joined uh, TransferWise was that my goal is that one day in every team, every department of the organization, there is somebody who has started in the customer support. Because they have experienced uh, this direct customer interaction, their problems, and they take that mindset to whatever role they are in the organization. And if you are building something for the customers, you need to have the customer thinking in all teams. In finance, in, in HR, not to mention product and all these, uh, all these kind of teams. That's crucial because then you have, have much better understanding who you're working for and you are not just like, you know, I'm doing my piece, mm-hmm. but you understand eventually who's going to be impacted. But yeah, for, uh, so hire for the company, not, uh, not for the custom support team. And that's why I was looking for a very different kind of people from very diverse backgrounds as well. And sometimes I knew that, okay, this person will join. They will only be in the support for six months. But during these six months, due to their personality and drive, they will add so much value to the support team and also to the customers. And even if they move on, they will add a lot of value to the company because they are like super great, super smart. And now with that six-month customer support experience, they will have tremendous value in in any other part of the company as well. That's that's kind of my mindset. So you, I don't have like this model, you need to pass this and then you go work for customer support. As diverse team as possible. Very hard to run very diverse teams with different cultural backgrounds, uh, you know, educational backgrounds, so on. Much more complex than just hire this same type of people, but much, much more valuable uh, to the team and to the organization. And the other reason why it's important is that if we look at our customer bases, they are not all the same type. They are all different types of people. So if you're working surrounded by the same type of people, how can you understand all these different people? It's very hard. If you're here sitting and next to you is somebody who is like 70 years old and then the other side is somebody who is like from another side of the world and then there's somebody who has crazy pink hair. So you are surrounded by all your customers as well. Mm-hmm. And that makes it much easier to understand all these different customers that come to you uh, too. So mm-hmm. diverse team makes a huge difference in understanding your customers. Yeah, that's totally different perspective. As you said, instead of looking for someone that would fill the role, be here as long as possible, because why would you want to keep yeah. hiring the support people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you need to have this core team, of course, as well. And if you hire, you need to think, okay, I see this person has a long-term potential for the support. Mm-hmm. But if you only focus on that, you miss so many opportunities uh, for the for the organizations and organization and for the customers and for the team. So yeah, you need to have all these other bits and pieces as well. Mm-hmm. These are some very good ideas. That's that that's a very good answer. Ten points. Probably you also have some good resources. To, sh- to share what have been some of the resources or books or 
podcasts or people that that you have learned most about it can be about the support part but also being better manager or better person overall mm-hmm. what would you suggest i think more than any book or podcast what has helped me most is the people i work with or people who are around me in any organization i think that's quite often much more valuable because then you don't just hear the theory or hear the stories but you see how it is applied in real life and also you're talking to the uh, people from other support teams too for me very insightful was uh, to work for transcom which is a big uh, global outsourcing company and we had projects from like 20 plus different companies there and then i was like pretty cool like it's like a crash course of working for 20 different companies and understanding how they think about the customer support uh, or service about the service quality or what is important for the companies you know that for me was super valuable just having this understanding how different companies approach and then coming getting to my own kind of conclusions that how i see what would be the best so yeah rather than various these online resources just talk to people reach out to somebody who has done it just bounce ideas and sometimes you just need to say it out loud the challenges that you have and you get to the conclusions as well thank you yorma for sharing all of your awesome tips you have a, a lot of things to share if if people want to um now bounce some ideas with you <laughs> then <laughs> what's the best way to to follow you or or reach out to you the best way to reach out to me find me on on linkedin and send uh, send a request with some intro that you know why you want to contact me or you can email me as well uh, yorma at uh, limitless.fund so these are the best best ways uh, to reach out and i'm more than happy to you know bounce ideas uh, around customer support impact investing or any anything else that kind of feels relevant that's very very nice of you thank you yorma for your time and people definitely have learned a lot from hearing this episode well thank you very much thanks for having me again these are just my experiences so take everything with a pinch of salt and and, and think through how one or another way actually could or could not work in your environment so just my opinions but thank you for listening